You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This, I believe is the first time I got something wrong on the show about getting things wrong. Prime numbers have always contained a certain magic about them. They start so easy. Numbers that have no factors other than themselves. So, one, three, five, seven, so far so good. 11, 13, 17, 19, 23, um, 27, because 27 is not a prime number, you see. That was followed soon after by this here. The Battle of Hastings is one of the more crucial skirmishes in history. William's victory marked the beginning of hundreds of years of Anglo rule over England. Should have been Norman rule. Just totally fudged that one. For this, the second episode of our Kickstarter season... I wanted to bring you an introspective episode, looking back at the mistakes I've brought into your ears while hoping to bring in correctives. There's no shortage. I've made at least a dozen boo-boos and oopsies over the course of this last year. But here's the problem. They're tiny, minute, inconsequential. Things like garbling sea monster names. They should be Jormungandr, Scylla, and Charybdis, for the record. I don't think I've made any major errors of fact so far, and that is surprising to me, and a little disappointing, frankly. Worse still, it's boring, because I asked myself, what could be interesting about typos? And then I asked myself again, with a different emphasis, well, what could be interesting about typos? This is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. As you know, some weeks we choose a theme, bring you a variety of topics on that theme. Today's episode, Typees and Errors. Stay tuned. Act 1. For God's sake. If we go back to the days of hand printing, or even early printing presses, typos and foibles were plentiful. Some scholars even argue that they were celebrated. Errata sheets were distributed with books of the 17th and 18th centuries, embracing the fallibility and humanness of authors, editors, and printers. Flubbing some words or spellings in your book was expected, 
totally a-okay. As long as your book wasn't, say, the Bible. We could stay here all day talking about biblical errata. The history of Oopsied Holy Books goes back to the Book of Kells, handwritten in the year 800, which includes a couple of screw-ups, perhaps most notably miswriting the Latin word gladium as gaudium, making Matthew 10.34, which typically translates to, I came not to send peace but the sword, instead read, I came not to send peace but joy. Contrary to other books where a sheet of corrections was printed, mistaken Bibles were typically burnt and their printers punished. And that means that if you can get your hands on one today, you can sell it for a fortune. There's the Placemaker's Bible of 1562, which calls those who set the table children of God rather than those who make peace. There's the 1717 Vinegar Bible, which mistitles the parable of the vineyard. There's the Breeches Bible, where Adam and Eve sew themselves pants. The Wife Beater's Bible, the less said about that one the better. The Treacle Bible, the Bug Bible, the Standing Fishes Bible, the Owl Husband Bible. And then there are the real biblical fuck-ups. Because the harm of writing bees where you should have written beef is pretty negligible. And while you wouldn't want to encourage women to marry owls, it's not especially likely that they would. On the other hand, a King James Bible printed in 1763 had a real yikes of a mistake. Psalm 14.1 read, The fool hath said in his heart, There is a God. Which is a pretty insulting thing for an 18th century Bible reader to hear. Or, take the unrighteous Bible, printed in Cambridge in 1653. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall inherit the kingdom of God. Finally, there's the big daddy of them all. In 1631, Robert Barker and Martin Lucas, the royal printers of London, issued a reprint of the King James Bible on behalf of then King Charles I. Their error was very simple. Of the 783,000-odd words in the book, they only missed one. Thou shalt commit adultery. The king and his Archbishop of Canterbury were outraged. Barker and Lucas were stripped of their printing licenses and fined an impossible amount of money. The king ordered every copy found and burned, but some small number, maybe 10 or 15, escaped the flames. In 2015, one of these so-called wicked Bibles was auctioned off by the British auction house Bonhams. It gaveled for 31,250 pounds. Roughly 40 grand American. One last Bible errata of note seems, in light of the rest, less mistaken than prescient. A 1612 edition of the King James Bible contains this erroneous line in Psalm 119. Printers have persecuted me without cause. Hard to argue with that. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. 
Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days In, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Act 2. FDR was one sick dude. In 1940, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt was laid up sick. Or, as the Washington Post might have put it, FDR in bed with cold. That's how the Post might have put it. But instead, their headline read, FDR in bed with co-ed. Reportedly, Roosevelt loved this mistake, and everything we know about the dude supports that report. It said he called up the Post and asked for 100 copies to be sent to the White House. But unfortunately for the POTUS, the paper circulation department had already managed to find and destroy every copy they had. Act 3. It's not rocket science. Time is X minus 10. There was excitement and nervousness at Cape Canaveral on July 22, 1962. The Mariner 1 spacecraft was set for launch. Its mission? To travel to Venus, where it would closely buzz the planet, sending back radiometric temperature, magnetic field, and particle measurements to NASA. On top of the science of the mission was the spirit of it. Mariner 1 was to be mankind's first voyage to another planet. But instead, that honor would end up belonging to its successor, Mariner 2. Shortly after liftoff, Mariner 1 began to veer off track, and efforts to correct the wander only made things worse. Mariner 1 was headed not to space, but straight into the crowded North Atlantic shipping lane. With no other solution at hand, NASA ordered Mariner 1 to self-destruct, a short 295 seconds after its mission had begun. Mariner 1 broke up in fire and scattered harmlessly across the gulf. Then, the investigation began. In the end, two problems were found to have contributed to the failure. The first was a faulty antenna. That antenna was meant to receive guidance and steering data from the ground, effectively a remote control for the launch. But the radio noise interrupted the signal, and contact between the craft and Houston was lost. But that was okay. That was expected. Relying on radio transmission to guide a massive, fast-moving rocket through the stratosphere was something NASA knew to be risky. So there was a backup contingency. When Mariner lost touch with ground control, it was to return to its onboard navigation software and handle things itself. Which is what it did. And that's where the second problem entered in. Among the instructions in the guidance software was a tiny bit of code about how the craft was to handle small course corrections. It's natural for a rocket to have little changes in velocity or angle that have to be slightly accommodated to keep the vessel on track. But you don't want your guidance system to overcorrect to these little fluctuations. So in the plan written for the ship, there was an overbar, like a hyphen, above the course correction code, which essentially said, hey Mariner, Don't freak out, just nudge yourself a little. 
1962, this code had to be entered by hand, and unfortunately, the person who had transcribed the guidance procedure into Mariner missed the overbar. So when Mariner 1 felt itself going a little off track, it reacted like a driver who accidentally wandered a bit out of their lane and responded by spinning the wheel straight off the road. One little missing handwritten line doomed a mission that cost $18.5 million, or $155 million in today's dollars, leading Arthur C. Clarke to dub the mistake the most expensive hyphen in history. Act 4. Are you dense? In 1931, Webster's introduced a new word to their dictionary, DORD, D-O-R-D, meaning density. Their DORD remained through numerous editions and revisions, until 1939, when a copy editor noticed that DORD didn't have an etymology. He went searching back through the archives to figure out where DORD came from, and eventually discovered the origin. Webster's chemistry editor had suggested an inclusion before the third edition's printing, back in 1931. But his suggestion wasn't DORD, a word that absolutely doesn't exist, but instead D, as in the letter. D is, in chemistry and physics, sometimes used in formulas to denote density. An uppercase D or a lowercase D. And that is how Dr. Patterson phrased his submission uppercase D or lowercase D. D or D. Dord. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Act 5. Wrong to the finish. How? How? How is it possible that of everything I've written about on this show, a story about spinach is the thing that has driven me closest to insanity? I have to say this first part simple and slow, just for my own sake. Spinach makes Popeye the Sailor strong because it's high in iron. Right? Is that your understanding? Because that was mine. But within four or five hours of researching this, I was so turned around that I began to wonder if I'd imagined the whole thing. Maybe there had never been a character called Popeye at all. Maybe there was just a comic strip about a guy not paying for hamburgers while a frighteningly skinny lady got chased around by a brute and my mind filled in the gaps? But then how to explain the song? I didn't write the song. No, there must be a Popeye, and he eats spinach, and it makes him strong, and it makes him strong because it's high in iron. Yeah? You with me? Good. Except, no. Because spinach isn't especially high in iron. 
It's got about the same amount of iron as other greens, like Brussels sprouts or cabbage. Yeah, go check if you don't believe me. There's about 2.71 milligrams of iron in 100 grams of spinach. That puts it in roughly the same category as a slice of bread or a half cup of raisins. And it pales in comparisons to chickpeas or pumpkin or, of course, virtually any sort of animal protein. And it's not just that. The modest levels of iron in spinach aren't very good at being digested. According to a 1991 Scientific American piece, as little as 2% of the iron in spinach is absorbed when consumed raw. That number can be boosted by long soaking or boiling, but regardless, a great source of iron, it ain't. Alright, you okay? You feeling irrationally upset or skeptical about this? Because that was my reaction, and I can't for the life of me defend why I should be so defensive about this. It makes no sense. But there it is all the same, so I understand if you need a minute to really Google this, super Google this, I get that. Take your time. And then come on back, because we're not even close to through. You ready? Alright. Because there's a story for why we all thought, many of us until a scant few minutes ago, that spinach was so high in iron. And then there's a story behind that story, but first things first. According to a 1977 article written by nutritionist and skeptic Arnold E. Bender, the problem goes back to a German doctor, Eric von Wolff, who in 1870 set out to test the iron content of a number of foods. But when marking up his results, he misplaced a decimal point, noting that there were 35 grams in spinach, rather than 3.5. Wolff's results then made their way from textbook to textbook, spreading the air around. In 1937, some researchers noticed and corrected it, but by then the myth and the character of Popeye had already been cemented in popular understanding. Bender's story was repeated and expanded upon in a British Medical Journal article by hematologist J.T. Hamblin, and from there seeped into the lore of scientists and skeptics around the world, and if the way I'm phrasing this makes you think we've maybe got another hard turn in front of us, you're right. In 2010, criminologist, yeah, a criminologist, if we follow this rabbit hole deep enough, we'll find every specialization ever accredited. I imagine there's at least one dowser towards the bottom. In 2010, criminologist Mike Sutton was preparing some citations for a lecture he had given at Manchester University. In the opening to his speech on bad data and its effect on policy, he'd told the spinach, Popeye, iron, and decimal error story, or as he acronymed it, SPIDES because by 2010, Spides was a go-to anecdote for science folks looking for a light-hearted story about how mistakes echo through time. But while drawing up his citations, he had some trouble tracking the tale back to any meaningful primary source. Sutton, I think, is a man after my own heart, because he started pulling at this sweater and didn't stop until he was shirtless. He called up Dr. Hamblin, who admitted he wasn't actually quite sure where he'd heard about the decimal point. He tracked it back to Bender, who was stubbornly dead at the time. So Sutton really started beating the bushes, reading not just every dietary journal from the 1870s through the 1930s, but every Popeye comic from the 20s through the 30s too. And remember, he's a criminologist. He's got no dog in this fight. 
gosh, I am in love. Sutton found Dr. Von Wolf's data from the 1870s and was able to figure out the error. Von Wolf had come to his figures by reducing spinach to ash and then calculating the amount of iron oxide in the ash. But he hadn't accounted for the weight of the oxide part. When he burned the spinach, the iron within it joined with oxygen in the air. But Von Wolf hadn't bothered to figure that in. So there'd been no printing error. There was, rather, a methodological one. But we're not done yet. Von Wolf's error was corrected in 1893 by German physiologist Gustav von Bunge, and that seems to have pretty much put an end to the transmission of his mistake. So, even though von Wolf did, in fact, overestimate the amount of iron in spinach, he's not the reason we overestimated it. Instead, the modern misunderstanding goes back to a paper published in 1934 by the University of Wisconsin which contained a table of amounts of iron in various foodstuffs. Highest of all was spinach at 0.53 milligrams per gram, a suspiciously, impossibly high amount. That's more iron than there is in blood. So was this our decimal error? No! What the authors at Wisconsin had failed to properly note was that they were sampling dried spinach. Spinach is, as you'd probably guess, mostly water. And water is, as you likely know, very heavy. So getting a gram worth of dried spinach takes several grams of the regular kind. And that is the error that ends up in the textbooks and journals and news reports that causes everybody to think spinach is such a superfood. Okay, is that it? Nope. Because what year did I say that Wisconsin paper was from? 1934? Well, Popeye was created in, get this, 1929. And it is at this point that I start really freaking out. How could... But 29... 34... If that's roughly what you're muttering now, don't worry, I'm here to pull you out. We are almost through this. Elsie Seeger added Popeye the Sailor to his comic strip, Thimble Theater, in 1929. But initially, instead of eating spinach for strength, Popeye rubbed the head of a magic chicken called, and I'm serious here, Wifflehen for luck. Don't go thinking that explains anything, though. Because he switched over to super strength from spinach in 1932, and that's still two years before the UW report. So why even tell you about Wifflehen? Because I wanted to say Wifflehen. That's why. When Seeger introduced the spinach-hungry version of Popeye, the sailor made perfectly clear, aside from his impossible-to-place accent, why the leafy green gave him such power. In the first panel to feature this trait, Popeye explains, spinach is full of vitamin A, and that's what makes humans strong and healthy. But elsewhere in the comics, Popeye is repeatedly associated with iron, calling himself an iron man and being told by his doctor that he has a cast iron interior. Combine a few phrases like that with the growing misunderstanding of spinach born from the Wisconsin paper, and voila, Popeye becomes the carrier for a myth he never even stated. 
Whew. In summary, spinach isn't high in iron. There was no decimal point error. Wiffle hen, wiffle hen, wiffle hen. Act 6. Counterfeits. In 1964, semiotician Marshall McLuhan contributed his best-known phrase to the popular lexicon. The medium is the message. McLuhan's argument was that the delivery mechanism for any communication becomes a necessary and important part of that communication. So a story written in a book held a different meaning than the ostensibly same story told in a film because the act of reading conveyed different meanings than the act of watching a movie. The phrase was coined in his book Understanding Media, The Extensions of Man. But it was such a hit that in 1968 he published another book, composed of weird collages and mirror writing and codes named for it. But when the first perusal copies came back from the typesetters, there'd been a mistake. The title had been misspelled. The medium is the massage. This error was so in keeping precisely with McLuhan's point that he urged the publisher not to correct it. And so the book was renamed, by accident, to his liking. A similar incident took place in 2015, when perusal copies of a collection of monologues were sent to a dazzlingly handsome young playwright. The collection was entitled Counterfeits, but the binding erroneously read Counterfeits. So lovable and playful was the young playwright that he insisted his publisher keep it that way. And that brilliant playwright's name was... Me. Oh, God, I'm going to be sick to my stomach. But before I run off to the toilet, I want to remind you that for a $35 donation to the Season 5 Kickstarter, you can receive a signed copy of Counterfeits, or if you prefer, Counterfeits. The link is right here in the episode description or show notes of what you're listening to. And there are other rewards, too, including a constant button or even a personalized message I'll read in the tag of a future episode for you big spenders. Thanks so much, guys. Until next time, from the home of the Society of Typographic Arts, Chicago, Illinois, this has been The Constant. In the first panel to feature this trait, Popeye explains, Spinach is full of vitamin A! And that's what makes humans strong and healthy. It's my worst Popeye impression. But elsewhere in the comics, Popeye is repeated. Should we try it again? Should I try to actually do the voice? Let's try it. Okay. <laughs> Let's just. Okay. I can't even begin to... How does he talk? Why does he sound that way? Spinach is full of vitamin A, and that's what makes humans strong and healthy. What? How is that even a sentence? Can we cut this together into something? Or do I have to try it again? Okay. In the first panel to feature this trait,
Popeye explains, spinach was... <laughs> I can't even say the regular words. Oh, okay. It's fine. Alright. In the first panel to feature this trait, Popeye explains, spinach is full of vitamin A, and that's what makes humans strong and healthy. Yeah, that's that's the one we're using. 